Hey, welcome to this next episode of the Kathy Keat Show. I'm really excited about what I'm going to be talking about today. And this applies to dog agility or sheep dogging and all sorts of different situations. I'm going to be clarifying for a lot of people what the amazing agility competitor Dudley Shoemate and myself were talking about in the last episode when it came to trying to survive on course. Because there's lots of different ideas around that and when is the right time to do that and when is it not. As well, we've got some exciting things coming up. I've got two amazing women who are coming up in two separate interviews that we're going to be talking about dog training. We're going to be talking about structure. I think you'll really enjoy those. Their looks into completely different worlds. And Farm Diggity has also offered to supply some dog training items for draws for people who are listening to the show. So I'm really excited about that as well. So lots of things to talk about. I'm really excited that you're here. Thanks for joining me. And let's get started with the ninth episode of the Kathy Keats Show. So we've all seen it happen. Big event, time's counting down, and the handler is fighting for a great run. Things are going really well, and all of a sudden things start to go sideways. And the crowd gasps, and the handler somehow manages to hang on, pull it out, and either win the round or survive long enough to get to the next round. So in sheepdogging, it might be that there's a really difficult you at the pen, and the handler and dog are trying to get the sheep in, and the sheep keeps trying to break, and they're hanging on and hanging on, but time's running out, everyone's checking their watches. And finally, the handler and dog take a chance, they take a risk, and they decide to shove on the sheep because it's either go in or you're going to lose the points. And the potential is the sheep could bust everywhere. But they take a chance, they get them in all of a sudden, the handler scrambles, swings the door shut, the door bangs just as the timer goes and everyone cheers because they've got the pen, the handler tips their hat and everyone's heart is pounding and they're cheering and you feel like you've just been on a roller coaster. Or in agility, it's the final round, the, everyone is pushing for time, everyone's going for it and a particularly fast run, the handler and dog are just smoking the run and all of a sudden the dog starts heading off course to the tunnel and it's the kind of thing where everyone in the stands can see it happening and everyone gasps and the handler manages to see it at the last second, pull the dog back and save the round and have a smoking score to win the championship by a hundredth of a second. <laughs> so we've all seen those things happening and they're really exciting. And the other thing that's really interesting about it is certain people always manage to pull it out. They seem to be really good at surviving. They always seem to manage to pull out the run that they need when they need it. So a lot of people were asking, how do you learn how to survive? And is it detrimental to ever practice that? And one of the things I want to talk about today is when you should be practicing it and when you shouldn't be practicing it. So when you're working with a young dog, the most important thing is maintaining criteria, teaching them the skills. So what happens when you're trying to survive is you're trying to get the result, the outcome no matter what, you're fighting for that outcome. And what happens with young dogs is quite often that is at the expense of the quality of the behavior that you're asking the dog to do. So for example, if you're in an agility round and you've got a young dog learning its contact and it blows its contact, but you keep going because you're trying to go clean and get a fast time, 
you've just tried to survive, but at the expense of your dog's behavior. In sheepdogging, you might have a dog that's coming down the field, it's fetching the sheep down the field, and it's completely ignoring your lie down. So it's just basically blasting ahead, running the sheep all over the place. And you just keep yelling, lie down, instead of saying thank you to the judge walking out and not letting the dog persist in that because you were too busy trying to get the course done. So with young dogs in particular, we know that in training we need to reward good behavior. We know we need to maintain criteria. But the problem is when we get to trials, we get very outcome focused. And the first year of a dog's experience in trialing is just that, it's experience. You're still training the dog. It's amazing how they can figure out they're in a trial environment compared to the training environment. So often dog trainers always joke, if I had a dime for everyone, every time someone said, my dog will do this at home, we'd all could retire. Because we enforce things at home, we reward things at home, we maintain criteria at home, but we tend to not in trial, especially in those crucial first months of competition that the dog has. So they very quickly learn, ah, here, it doesn't matter. And in fact, dogs can tell not only that you're competition at competition versus training, they can even tell the nuance of that. They can tell if it's a local event or a big event by the energy and the various things going on. So they can even figure out, ah, you will maintain this at a local trial, but at a big trial, you won't. One of my um, great agility dogs, she figured out very quickly that uh, contact behavior, I was less likely to maintain contact behavior in really big events. And so I was always fighting that a little bit at big events versus in local or moderate events, I would enforce it. And so she knew that in those events, she couldn't get away with her lack of anthropomorphizing there, but that I was going to main wasn't going I was going to maintain criteria in those smaller events. So that's how important it is for the behavior to be solid. Most people tend to trial dogs a little bit too early. And so the dog's behaviors aren't even strong enough for the new criteria of a trial. And then they take it one step further and they don't maintain the criteria in the trial. So that's really, really important to understand. You're not trying to survive early, early in a dog's career. It's more important to maintain behavior as much as possible. Now, as the dog gets more experienced, it's got uh, more miles under its belt, and you two are more really communicating as a team now. There's a certain amount of give and take that can be allowed, and they're going to understand, okay, in this situation, we're trying to get a job done. They start to understand the job, so there's a little bit more give and take where if it's not perfect, they allow you allow each other some leeway to fight for it. There's some forgiveness for each other and there's some responding to each other to help each other out. So those types of dogs, once they're a bit more experienced and their behaviors are strong, you can try and survive or practice surviving more because you're less likely to hurt the dog's behaviors. So for example, in sheepdogging, if you've got a fairly um, high-strung type of dog and you're trying to teach it to be calm, and you're at some of your early trials, and you realize the dog's about to miss the cross drive panel, 
In a big event, you might start flashing your dog around trying to make that panel, but if you've finally got your dog working calmly and pacing nicely, in that trial, you might just let the panel go and not worry about making that panel because you're just going to keep the dog working nicely in the trial environment. Okay. So really think about those types of things. You first have to get solid behavior. You have to get solid communication, and then you learn how to survive. Having said that, the better a handler you are, the fewer mistakes you make in training, generally speaking, the more likely the dog is going to trust you earlier in the process so you can start trying to survive earlier in the process. If you make a lot of mistakes as a trainer or as a handler where you're causing confusion in the dog or you're causing the dog not to trust you, then you're going to make your road longer for surviving because the dog's going to keep asking more and more questions all the time. So really work hard at trying to keep your drills simple enough that you can do them right. The dog's obviously going to make mistakes because it's learning, but you really want the mistakes to be learning because of the dog making a mistake that's teaching it rather than you making mistakes that are complicating the learning process. So when it comes to survival specifically, so now you've done a good job of training your dog, you've got communication, you've got trust. Now what you start to do is you run drills where you say, okay, this exercise, this drill, this repetition, this class at this particular event, I'm going to run it now, even though it's a young dog, I'm going to run it to survive. I'm not training now, I'm running it for performance reasons. I'm running it to try and push and see what we've got. Now, I'll give you an example of how you try and balance this out. If you're a musician and you are learning a new piece, you might make a mistake at this one place in the tune. And so instead of playing the whole tune over and over and keep making the same mistake and trying to survive, you go to that spot and you try and get better at that mistake so that, not better at the mistake, you try and get rid of the mistake so you get better performing that piece And then you add a little bit more on either side, a little bit more on either side, until you can play the whole piece flawlessly. Then you try and play it faster, you try and play it with accompaniment, you try and play it in different ways so that you start to proof, basically, your ability to play it. So then when you're ready, you go play with a band. If you're playing with a band, and any musician will tell you this, there's going to be times you make mistakes. When you're playing all night, there's going to be times there's a mistake. You have to keep going. You can't stop and say, hey, everyone, I just want you to stop dancing. I'd like the band to stop. I just need to go back to that bar and rehearse it a few times, and then we can keep going. So when you're at the point of surviving, training yourself to survive, you're at the point where you've worked through the kinks, you've worked through the problems, you can basically do the whole thing nicely and reasonable flow. So you know, not at a really high rate of speed, then you work at getting faster at it. And when it starts to feel like I'm nailing this most of the time, then you try and put it into a real world environment, a performance environment, whether that's in front of a dance or whether that's in a agility ring or whether that's on the sheepdog field or the obedience ring or whatever your particular poison is. So then It's important to, when you feel like you're getting to the stage where you're ready to do that, that's the stage where you start adding in practice. Okay, let's put a little bit of pressure on this. Maybe you and a friend make a bet for going out to dinner, whoever, you know, 
doesn't go clean on the agility run or whoever misses the panels and the sheepdog panels. Or you do something like, if I miss this, I have to do 10 push-ups or something you don't like. So you add a little bit of pressure to what you're doing. Or you do things like you mix it up a lot. So someone says, okay, run this sequence, then run that sequence or hit this obstacle and then hit that obstacle. So you're adding variety to it, which makes it again, more trial-like and makes it more, um, puts more pressure on you to perform. That's when you start to move into learning how to survive. And there's lots of different drills and ways you can do that. So I want you to think about that. Build your skills and then learn how to survive because the difference between the people who are pretty good and the people who are at the very top is people who are pretty good practice to get it right. The people who are at the top practice so they can't get it wrong. And that means even if they have to save it ugly. (laughs) But they don't get lazy and say, I'll only do it ugly. They still keep trying to make it better and better and better. The problem is if you don't learn how to survive, you never give yourself the opportunity to have the run that's not only great that you survive it and you complete it, but that it's fantastic. When you're always practicing to get everything perfect, the problem is is creation and performance is rarely perfect. So you start training your brain to stop when it's not perfect. Typically, the people who love training have great drill work, but they tend to not always have good coursework because they're always breaking things into little pieces. People who are always doing coursework tend to be able to hold it together and pull things together. But the problem is they often have slightly sloppier behaviors. So you want to have a blend of both. The other thing is pay attention to your competitive season. When you're in your pre-season or off-season, Doing more drill work is great for building skills. When you start getting closer to your big events, that's the time to start paying attention to more coursework and surviving because that's what you're going to need at the big event. It's not that you completely ignore your behaviors. You still maintain or tweak things that need work, but your focus becomes more on learning to survive. All right. So hopefully that helps you think about the idea of surviving and how it applies to actual trialing and performance and how it applies to training. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support the show or you'd like to get into the draws from Farm Diggity for any of the dog equipment or you'd like to get notified when the next podcast is available, you can go to kathykeats.com slash support the show and you can uh, either sign up there to get notified or if you're willing, you can buy me a pizza or a cup of coffee or something like that to keep the podcast going. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you soon. I can 